Well, welcome to the Situation Report for August 30th, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Conrad. It will be um, a couple of minutes here. We may have the good um, Captain Seth Keschel join us, and we may have Colonel Piper join us. Both of them are traveling, so we'll see if they can they can make the journey. But uh, so far, there's two of us, and I've got some administrative notes before we dig into the topic today. And one of them is, I want to say a sincere thank you for everyone that has supported Trooper for the his homeless mission. For those of you who aren't on Telegram, uh, Trooper's got a channel on Telegram, and he, he does, uh, the best way to put it is, he goes out um, on weekends, uses his own time, his own money, his own resources, and he dresses wounds for most of the uh, the homeless in a specific it's a specific park he does here in in Phoenix. And about two months ago, I put the call out on uh, a sit rep to ask people to to help him out because it, medical supplies are extremely expensive, especially when you're you're talking about some of the um, the bandages he uses, some of the some of the uh, saline solutions he uses. It adds up. And uh, before you know it, you're six or 12 or 15 grand out of pocket. And um, so I, I put the call out for folks to help. And he just he just did again this week, um, asked folks for help and was just overwhelmed with with support. So I wanted to say a sincere thank you for supporting him. And I, and I really um, I really appreciate the fact that folks are stepping up and Troop can he's he's in the light. He's in the chat uh, on the live stream so you can. You can ask him what URL if you want to support him, but if you can support him, that would be fantastic. Um, he does; he's doing the Lord's work. He's going out every weekend. He's out there, you know, six, seven hours in a hundred plus degree heat, dressing wounds and and trying to help people out. And he's he's had a few successes getting people off the street. And um, you know, if you've been if you've ever been around that that cycle it's a it's a cycle of regression it's two it's one step forward two steps back then one step forward then two steps back it takes a long time to get somebody off the street right because its own it's its own ecosystem as much as it's its own culture and to move people off the street you're you're talking about you know drug dependencies chemical dependencies of some kind you're talking about some mental health issues you're talking about deep trauma there's a variety of things. There's a lot of veterans on the street with PTSD. And this is, this is something that's near and dear to his heart. And it's been, um, it's been a labor of love for him. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very um, amazing. It's really amazing when people are supportive of it. So I wanted to say thanks for number one. And number two, if you can continue to support him, please do. Cause he's, he's doing amazing work. And that's exactly what, what I've been talking about for two years is sphere of influence and increasing your sphere of influence and helping your local community to build those relationships. That's where all this is going to start. It's all going to start in a local community. It's not going to start at the national level. There's not going to be a national level leader. It's going to be a bunch of local leaders that literally come together and start doing local activities to bring people together and to move the ball forward. And it may be incremental at times. But over time, it will become ex, you know, exponential. And that's what we want is 
We want the incremental movements right now to get people organized, to get people prepared, but more importantly, to create leaders in every single community is what we really want to do. So anyway, uh, hopefully is, so I, I'm seeing that the, uh, rumble is looping the, uh, the intro. Not sure why that's happened. Cause I'm, I'm watching the live feed and it looks like it's, uh, it's working. So let me see. Okay. So I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to bring Lieutenant Colonel Conrad on. We'll get to the meat of the topic. Um, Colonel Conrad, thanks for joining me again. I know you had to race home to, to, to get on to this thing. So I appreciate the extra effort to get on for uh, for the weekly roundtable. I do appreciate that. And uh, I want to start tonight. So there's a couple of things going on that I think they, they bear mentioning. And the first one is, in my last sit rep, I talked about Here's all the societal things that we need to reformat and reset in order to move the ball forward. In addition to that, the other thing we need to do is we need to install transparency into every part of our government. And there's a number of other activities in order for us to get to the place where we want the country to be and reset the Constitution the way the founding fathers really wanted it to be. And a lot of people reference the 1871 Constitution. A lot of people. Um, reference the um, several key events. But really, the 1871 Constitution was the last Constitution that wasn't reformatted, for lack of a better word, by the Congress. And there's a, there's a bunch of U.S. code, there's a bunch of treaties, et cetera. All that stuff's going to have to be worked out over time. But we want to get back to a place where there is a Constitution that's functioning and current with the, the, the level of technology um, that our society has so that things move quicker and we're not we're not buried and mired in all these latency filled um, I don't want to say institutions but it's really institutions like the judicial branch still prim primarily uses paper to process court uh, court documents when all that can be done at the speed of light with um, well with technology with with um, you know, strong security protocols in place. You can you can have free and fair and safe elections, free and fair, safe trials. All of those procedures can be done with the right technology. The problem is we have douchebags that run all of our technologies, and that's why we have a voting system that is that has been completely co-opted. So, anyway, Colonel Conrad, welcome. Well, I appreciate being on as always. Like you say, there's never enough hours in the day, but uh, happy to be home and, and beyond. Um, you know, Steve, when we, when we talk about the constitution, um, and I've never sat down and read about some of this 1871 stuff. I'm sure there's people much more knowledgeable than me. I know they talk about things that have been updated or modified from the very original, but I would say right out of the gate, uh, I used to hear things about having a constitutional convention or a convention of the states thing whatever you want to call it i would be i would be highly skeptical not to mention uh very very nervous because i'm not sure who you could uh put in position representing us that is not corrupted and might not destroy what what semblance of a constitution we have left i think you know obama once famously remarked about our constitution 
how restrictive it was and and uh, rather than proactive or proscriptive and which told me that he may have gone to law school but he he just doesn't get what the founders were were driving at he probably never will but in any event um i'm i'm like you uh when we talk about what does the country look like on the other side of some kind of major event some kind of a reset whatever it happens to be I look first at the Constitution, but I go in the opposite direction of Obama. I'd rather make it more restrictive. I look at the fact that we've got three branches, each of which has been severely compromised, whether it's judicial, uh, because of, well, who knows how they compromise those people, uh, whether it's blackmailed things or or money or other. Um, but you've got the presidency, and we can't expect everyone is going to have the the um, stalwart character of a George Washington in terms of maintaining his principles. So I, it's almost as if I expect one individual to be easily corrupted, but it's the Congress where I would really, really focus in changing things initially. Oh, those girls are going to get term limits. They're going to get polygraphed. I, they're they're going to be, <laughs> they're yes. going to be, you know, probably anal probed every single year with some yeah. form of device to make sure that there's no alien DNA in them. I mean, we've let that go completely off the rails. And Nancy Pelosi was the perfect example of how that system is so broken that you could put a crime boss in that is literally conducting insider trading from her office using government email, and there's absolutely no recourse whatsoever. That, that has to die a loud, grotesque military death. First off, and, you know, talk about reformatting the entire legislative branch. There has to be separation so there's no special interests. There's no lobbying groups. There's no there's no coalitions and super PACs that are able to fund all these candidates and buy them off. You literally have to reset that whole system. And then all those agencies in DC need to be spread out all over the country. So that there's not this consolidation of power in one area like Washington, D.C. And then Washington, D.C. needs to go away entirely. My two cents, anyway. No, I, I agree. And I would go down that same path. And it's, you know, you start with things that are simple and structural, like uh, term limits, number one. Uh, but But in the mechanics of how votes are taken. And, you know, I think I mentioned to you one time on one of our sidebar discussions that uh, I had a book, original copy. It's over 100 years old. I think it came out around 1922, predates um, the stock market crash. And uh, it, it was called uh, the, the Problem with Western Democracies. And in that book, they accurately predicted pretty much everything that has happened financially, economically with us, with the West, and what's going on with the entire city of London concept of, of finance and banking. And that is to say, uh, not just corruption at the top, but you have to include uh, the fact that most, well, I'll be technical here, democracies as opposed to republic, most democracies, uh, but even republics, vote the lower class and the middle class way too many perks, way too many things. And before you know it, you're completely outside of your budget. So you've got to have uh, you've got to have line item vetoes, not just for a president, 
but line item votes, individual votes where they can't package things together and hold people hostage so that they end up getting their, their favorite little pet project from, from Des Moines, Iowa or Rhode Island or wherever that, that has very little impact at the federal level. Those kinds of things that often get funded in our Congress, they need to happen at the local and state level or not at all. And I'm, I'm not against helping people, but my vision of the government goes back to what the founders wanted, which is an extremely small, well-conserved in size government. Now, this, this Frankenstein state that's grown is absolutely off the rails. And by the way, I, I think before you can even move on to to a new uh, a new vision or a new update in our constitution, you've got to hold people's feet to the fire. You've got to punish these people for what they've done. You've got to make an example that we can point to historically and say, "You want to get off the rails? You're you're going to get handled. You're you're going to get a lot more than the proverbial tar and feathering. These people need to go to jail or worse." And so. You know, along those lines of structural reform, line item votes as well as line item vetoes are mandatory. I think you've got to mandate that there's a limit, a physical limit to the size of any bill, because it's ridiculous when you get these things that are thousands of pages in length. Nobody can read them. They're so detailed that only the experts who make them up and and create nest eggs for themselves in the future out of it because they create different types of financial needs. Well, that's the point, right? Uh, only that's things they do it that way. Only they, they, things they can solve. Yeah. Um, they, that's why they do it that way. They put, you know, 10,000 pages in it because they know no one's going to read it. And it's full of all these backdoor deals or they, they eviscerate some, you know, some set of our civil liberties and it's buried in fine print. Nobody ever reads it. And then two years later, when somebody actually <laughs> digs into it, and they realized how much they've screwed over the American people. Then it comes out. And by then, there are, there's past 10 other bills. The, the, all of the uh, environmental bills that they passed in the last two years, with the blessing of you know Bernie Sanders, the biggest oxygen thief on this planet, literally dismantles all of your, your ownership rights for all of your property. That get, it gives the, the government the ability to come in and seize your property under a climate crisis and no one paid attention to it. And wow. they could use eminent domain and a few other tools at their disposal because of a climate crisis. They've architected this whole situation so that they're protected. There's no accountability and they delegate all their authority to people that are behind the scenes that you'll never know their names. Cause they know if they didn't do that, people would be walking through the Capitol building with a baseball bat and you know, all of these revelations that have come out, this is exactly, and I agree with you, bills should be no longer than four, four to five pages. And once they're four to five pages, then that bill should be proofed, approved, and edited to the point where if you can't say it in five pages, it's not a bill. By the way, you've got to have, you've got to have a, a reasonable amount of time whether it's a couple of days to read and digest it or investigate the, as you always talk about, second and third order effects, you've got to have time to realize the impact of such a bill uh, before a vote is taken. And no more of this business of running votes in the middle of the night. 
forget the cover of darkness. Congress needs to act. What do they say? You know, daylight is is, is one of the best bleaches. And uh, we've got to vote uh, in business hours. There's no reason not to. Um, perhaps a declaration of war or something like that being the one exception. But that's about it. And And one other thing you touched on I want to go back to. You talked about moving a lot of these institutions out of Washington. I'm going to go you one better. We, we really need to take a look at what is codified amongst these uh, amongst these institutions in the actual constitution. Very little, very little. We've grown our government precipitously. Um, it, the State Department is completely out of control. Well, every president uh, since you, you, every president since um, since Nixon and Kennedy have grown the have grown the federal government. The State right. Department. We lost control of the State Department under Bush. Once Bush came to town, Bush the not Bush Senior W. And oh. wait, wait one sec. Let me add Captain Keschel to the stream here, and, and okay. uh, he just joins for one second here. So there is the good uh, Captain Seth Keschel. Welcome aboard. I'm glad you could make it today, and I appreciate you being patient with us. Well, I appreciate the invite. Nice to see both you gentlemen on here, and. Thank you for inviting me to your call and getting me out of elections world, Colonel Murray. This is quite an interesting thing. <laughs> I figured I would get I would get you out of the uh, the election business for a few minutes because uh, I know you and I have had several conversations about the way things should be, and I wanted folks to hear your opinion and just as much as and they hear me all the time, right? Everybody knows my opinion. My opinion would be walk through the the Capitol building with a forty five and a bottle of whiskey and take care of business. So. Um, yeah, that's not necessarily feasible or, or correct, but, you know, that's the, the situation we live in. But what the, the conversation that we were discussing, by the way, now I have Lieutenant Colonel Piper, so let me have him. Colonel Piper, thanks for joining. I just added the good Captain Keschel. So we've got a good forum tonight. There Man, you go. Let's work it out, baby. I like it. So what we're talking about is uh, the, we, we started talking about the size of the federal government. We started talking about... <laughs> What do things need to look like? How, it, how do we get from here to the Constitution that we want to operate under? And what does it look like to get there? What does it look like once we're there? And, you know, what are the things that we need in place? Because I think I think we talk a lot about, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. These guys are douchebags. These guys are we all everybody knows that. Right. Government's corrupt, completely broken. It's going to collapse. The question that really, really nobody in the conversation, really no one's having right now is what is this going to look like on the other side? What, what, what do we need to do and what needs to be in place to get to the constitution, like the 1871 constitution that we're constantly, I constantly hear about, what does it look like? So I'm going to start with you, Captain Keschel, and then uh, Dave, I'll get back to you in a second. I think you're on mute, uh, Seth. Can you hear me? Bueller? Bueller? All right, we'll start with you, uh, Colonel Piper. Well, let, me, let me give you my thought on the action plan. Action plan is pretty straightforward, and that is every agency that comes under the president needs to move its headquarters two or three or four states away from D.C., and they cannot be in any state that the, any other agency is in. 
That's that's step number one. When that happens, you also do a reduction in force. Anybody who doesn't want to move doesn't have to move, and you will get your retirement papers on the spot. Done. You're out of here. The other thing that needs to happen when that occurs is that when you move, let's say you move the uh, the the uh, Department of State to Missouri, you change the pay scale to represent Missouri. You don't you don't destroy the Missouri economy by bringing in high-paid government employees and throwing everything a whack. You readjust to bring everybody to wherever you're moving it to. That's going to do two things for you. Number one, it's going to reduce the budget for that agency. And number two, it's going to help you do a reduction in force because a lot of people are not going to want to get a reduction in pay and they're not going to want to move. Very easily done. So you're too nice. I would just fire. I just walk down the hall with a paint gun and say, okay, what did you do yesterday? And you know, the answer is going to be nothing. Bam, bam, bam. You're fired. You ever see that episode of Entourage where Ari buys another firm and he walks down the hallway with a paint gun firing people asking him, what's the biggest star you signed last month? They don't have an answer. They're out that we should do that because that would be a full day of walking through some of those agencies to literally throw those people out and i would relish the opportunity to fire some of those people because some of my that i worked with 20 30 year veterans within the federal government that apps added absolutely no value whatsoever and that needs to that it, we just we literally just said reduce the size of the government which i think we all we can all agree on that but i and i was speaking earlier that we definitely need to move all those agencies outside of DC and then do away with Washington DC as a district and be done with it and just have the United States and declare one of our states a capital like we do in all of our states. We declare a capital and declare a national capital. And then that's where the president sits and then we have a legislature somewhere else and we split everything up so if you want to go see the president you get on a jet and you go somewhere to see the president you don't just drive down pennsylvania avenue and drop off at the white house i don't know Kepsha, are you with us yet yeah i i think you can keep dc as a national capital right but i i agree with carving it up 90% of DC really belongs to the the adjoining states. The problem that you're going to run into is the argument over who's got territory, you know, north and south of the Potomac. Because most of DC would end up in Maryland and that would just tick off everybody and make Maryland a a blue state powerhouse. But then if you moved all of the agencies away, a lot of those people would have to go find a job yeah you're digital well, it, it's uh, ralph's ralph's in and out a little bit um it, but it's not just a matter of splitting things up because we live in a digital world and um you know with that digital world it's uh, people can still communicate. Although I have nothing against collaboration within government. Government needs to function. 
but we need to shrink the size of the government in particular. We need to look critically at each of the functions. Go back to what the founders envisioned. The government has no business providing school loans for students. They have no business being involved in abortion clinics. They have no business being involved in health care. They have no business being involved in probably 85% of the things they're involved in or 90%. No, we no, need to go back. Yeah, yeah. Think about it, right? When we took command and general staff college and you took the course, I think it was what, 504 national power. That goes into depth of exactly what is national power. And that is the only thing at the national level that should be permitted. I want to get the uh, the good Captain Keshaw. Are you back with us now, Captain Keshaw? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. I want to get your view on this. Well, first off, I'm kind of wondering if Maricopa County runs StreamYard. Because I've been on this thing the whole time, and only now can you finally hear me. But second, getting to the conversation about making the Constitution work as intended. I mean, we're so far off of that. Most people are completely illiterate of very basic things. Um, you know, I, I've, I've kind of found it interesting, as long as I've known Colonel Murray, I've seen him transform from somebody who still had hope in the political system because I met him at a rally for Cary Lake to, to seeing, you know, where we've gotten now, realizing that we are not in position to reclaim government with one or two successful elections. I mean, even if you get somebody good in, they're going to surround that person with horrible human beings, terrible leaders, non-leaders and reverse everything. So any any positive things that may have happened under the Trump administration have been erased and then put one step further back with different executive actions. So I'm a little bit of a tweener on this. I'm, I'm definitely black-billed about the Republican Party. But I also have a few books and some ideas that I cling to that give me some clarity, like the fourth turning. I wholeheartedly believe in generational theory. And I've mentioned recently that I'm not a conservative anymore. I'm an accelerationist. Now, I have right-wing beliefs, but I believe that the only way forward is through it. And that we are, and not that we should deliberately cause chaos, but it's going to happen. It's already here. Uh, things are simply too crazy to continue on at the level of craziness without a change. So some global events and domestic events probably related to the 2024 election and everything that is going to be done to keep people like president trump out of office is going to result in change now how deep will it be i don't know how fine these cuts are going to be you know like reallocating the federal government to different cities but absolutely things are going to change even if it goes on the wrong way you're looking at five or six different countries coming out of what is now the united states and that's not organized at all nor finally cut so I think that in the spirit of preparedness, that everybody has to be prepared for a complete loss of control and a reconstitution in some way, the best way possible. So I think that liberty lovers are going to have to figure out what what good looks like on the back end of this and how to pick it up so someone else doesn't fill the vacancy. Because everywhere in the world, no matter whether we're talking about a semi-civilized nation or barbaric people, power vacuums always result in worse outcomes if not prepared for wow i couldn't have said that better myself nicely nicely said i i hey eric what what if what if we were to openly permit not necessarily breaking into multiple countries 
But what if we were to openly permit counties to disassociate themselves, such as you know the 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 eastern and western part of Washington State or Oregon, mainly Oregon, who wants to separate and join Idaho? Why not? And I look at I look at Western Maryland joining West Virginia. Why not? I don't think that's going to be a choice. Colonel Piper, I don't think that's going to be a choice. I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be a popular uh, move that's going to happen regardless of what. Especially like if you look at Oregon, the, the or the Eastern Oregon is predominantly conservative, just like Eastern Washington, predominantly conservative. They are not going to stick around while the oligarchs in King County, then that's really where the power center in Washington State is. They're not going to sit around while the, the power brokers in King County pass all these rules. They're first they're going to ignore them and then they're going to secede. And when that secession happens, I think it'll be organic. It won't be done through legal means. It'll be done organically. And if it is done through legal means, we'll probably see it happen in Oregon first. But you're already seeing that conversation in probably 20 plus states right now. Texas Texas is only a part of the union because of a treaty. If they don't sign resign that treaty, guess what? Texas is its own country. And Texas will be the, the probably the, the first or second state to secede from the union. So well, they have I, their own power grid, so that facilitates, right? Yeah, I, I see that happening. We have a Texas resident on the call. He could probably tell us. Yeah, Texas has a major sickness right now. 88% of the population in Texas is urban and suburban. So they've concentrated so much power, taken over all the cities. I mean, the Democrat leadership has taken over the cities. But the Republican leadership is completely complicit in selling out the interests of the state. You've seen that drunken Speaker of the House, Dade Fallon. Greg Abbott said almost nothing about Ken Paxton's impeachment. Ken Paxton happens to be the only big state major official that has said jack squat about the 2020 election fraud. And he's gone after it. It was his office that put out Texas versus Pennsylvania, which is the case that alleged Pennsylvania's miscarriage of its own election laws defrauded Texas's 38 electors. So no, Texas is not serious about, at least the government is not serious about dealing with any of this. And most of the Republican base in the, in the population areas is college-educated moderate. So yes, it, the, the elections in Texas are crooked, but I think Texas people cling to the legend of Texas from the 1850s and 1830s um, to, to wish cast it into what they think it is now. I wholeheartedly agree with the assessments about these states like Oregon and Washington, because the reason the government's been handing out $600 at a time during these pandemic times is to keep people in the inner cities from killing each other. And as soon as the security runs out, when people can't get basic things, that's when unrest happens. And that's when places are going to come untethered from the places in which they're governed. So that's a big issue that we have right now is once the security goes away and people no longer can go down the street to subway or go to a movie or go to a ball game, that is when life in America will change, but not as long as people are comfortable and the government's handing out 600 bucks a month for people to sit on their ass. You know, we already have a, uh, a model for, for that happening. It happened in a number of southern states at the end of the Civil War, uh, where you started to see things coming apart. Uh, you saw dissolution of state government with the insertion of, uh, of union officials, but you also saw breakdowns in society 
And in fact, that's actually how the original the original KKK was started. KKK later evolved into a racist organization, but there were a number of organizations, including the original KKK, that came out of the, the fundamental issue of women not being able to walk down the street or go shopping without being molested or, or mugged and things like that. Men ended up having to band together. Human beings are still, we are pack animals, so to speak. And you'll start to see people responding in exactly the same way, uh, organizing, Steve, just like you talk about uh, at the local level and doing what's necessary to to stabilize their own communities. Um, now, I wanted to add one other thing. It, it, it's certainly possible to see things like the changes in Oregon, uh, perhaps losing some, some land to Idaho or things like that. I also think something like uh, a, a, a breakup in Northern California and Southern California is potentially possible. I think that should have happened a long time, a long time ago. Anyhow, you look at North Carolina, South Carolina, the people and the circumstances are fairly similar, but Northern and Southern California are fairly distinctly different. Yeah. And I, well, I, and I want to go back to something that uh, Captain Keschel and Captain Piper, or Colonel Piper both said, and that is, you know, people are too comfortable <laughs> right now. Right. And we've, we've talked about this in other, in other uh, live syrups, but I, I think we're past the culmination point for the currency. We're past the culmination point for the social order to continue the way it is. What we're all waiting for, because everybody's in a holding pattern right now, what we're all waiting for is that catalyst moment. And then things will start to move exponentially faster. And you're right. Anytime there's a power vacuum, that was, that was a very good point. Um, anytime there's a power vacuum, Something worse always steps into it because there's no shortage of jackbooted thugs and, and tyrannical leaders whenever there's chaos, right? That's how Stalin came to came to power. That's that's how um, Hitler came to power and a host of other leaders throughout history. History is replete with this kind of a situation. But in this situation, if you look at the, the leadership right now, they're all geriatric late seventies, early eighties, like full stop Mitch today, like video <laughs> literally circling the internet, a full stop Mitch. He's too old. He's like Diane Feinstein. Why are they still in office? There's no checks and balances to remove these people. And the, the longer they stay, the more their proxies vote for them and do things for them, the more likely we are to have a catalyst event. If we don't get sucked into a nuclear war between now and then with all of the you know, munitions that are going to um, Ukraine. There, there's a host of things that could blow up at any point in time. And literally given where we are as a country right now, I'm, I was reading the tea leaves thinking it was June or July, right in the heat of summer, they'd take us out of power and conduct a cyber attack and take down most of the, the grid and the transportation system. And it didn't come to pass. So here we are in fall and literally we're waiting for that catalyst event and I, i'm with captain casual let's just get on let's get on with it I, i'm done waiting for this right i'm done waiting around for them to, to to stub their toe and do something incredibly stupid which we all know they're going to do because that's that's how these people operate they put the b team in when the a team should be fighting for the last four minutes to get to the goal line but instead they put the b team in and 
I find it incredibly interesting that the conversations they're having at the national level, it's they're so focused on removing Trump from the ballot, which all they've done is they've incited more coalitions to move to Trump's side. They've created a martyr. And that only ends one way. That that ends with kinetic activity. Where, when, how, doesn't matter. But when they, if they literally convict Trump with a kangaroo court, because if they do it in D.C., you know, it's 95% Democrat, every single one of the judges at the district level are completely compromised. The moment they convict him, civil war. Call me crazy, but we're we're on the precipice of a major event that's going to drive us into some kind of a conflict. And how we get through that, I don't know, but I see it coming. It's on it's it's so close on the horizon. You can and it, literally last weekend, I had 15 or 20 people call me and say, something's coming. I can feel it now. And call me crazy, but I think I don't think we're making it to 24. I think this is going to blow up long before that because these people are too incompetent and they're too focused on the end state of, of deleting Trump that they can't see anything else. So let yeah. me let, let me ask you this. Let's pull the thread on that thought. What if, and I'm going to use Hanlon's razor, these incompetent boobs are definitely incompetent boobs, but they are being handled by puppeteers that have been working on this for a long time. There is a and plan. The, and the goal of driving chaos to its level of insanity is intentional to do exactly what you said, to set off the powder keg so that, like Captain Eric said, they rip the United States into five different countries. That will destroy its unity, its power, it's commerce, everything. Maybe that is the overall goal. And it's becoming so obvious that that's the front edge of the spear, but we don't see the back end where the hands are. I think I agree with that assessment. One of the things that I'd like to point out here is that it would have been a whole lot easier to take over the country in the long run to just let Trump be reelected in 2020 because you have some natural political dynamics that come into effect in a second term, especially at that midterm, which just passed, is you're going to have a wipeout election from the party that's out of the White House. So that would have been the Democrats and nobody would have cried fraud or foul. And then you could have surrounded Trump with more D.C. bureaucrats and rode him out of office. And then in 2024, put in Gavin Newsom or somebody that actually to the layperson looks like a competent individual and then rode the country in the direction that it was desired, having survived the populist uprising. But now because people because President Trump was taken out of the White House and then you saw 2022 where you have certain states that I would consider to be the beachhead of the defense of freedom, Arizona being one. It wasn't just Kerry Lake. Kerry Lake is a symbolic candidate. Now, with executive powers afforded to the governor in a state that is highly corrupt and, and facing a cartel attack, uh, you have Mark Fincham, who I think was the most important tactical piece on the board, being secretary of state for a corrupt election state. He could have dumped the entire thing out and fixed the entire elections picture, and he was kept out. Abraham Hamaday was kept out, and probably even Blake Masters. And Blake Masters really screwed the rest of the Republican ticket there by conceding his race. But what we have going on with that, 
I think that, you know, COVID has been played out. People are sick of the COVID nonsense. I don't think it would go as well as it went last time, especially in the in the majority space in this country. But the cartels are a serious issue, and that's all over the news. And I would not be surprised if the 2024 political solution for the ruling class, notice I didn't say Democrats, it's both parties. They are probably going to allow cartels to run mad in all the cities, create a security crisis, and then come down from that. It's too dangerous for you to leave your house. We need to have more mail-in balloting because it's a dangerous situation out there. Oh, they absolutely are going to do that. They're absolutely going to do that. I just, what I don't see, and, and again, I'm t- Dave, you and I have had this conversation. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm waiting for the law of unintended consequences to take effect because it is going to, I look, I've done complex operations. I've done, I've done complex operations across an entire country. And it, I could tell you exactly how hard it is to do complex operations. It doesn't matter how much you war game it. It doesn't matter how you rehearse it. It doesn't matter how much you plan it. The moment you step off the line of departure and the enemy gets a vote, all of your plans go, they go to shit quickly. And that's exactly what's, uh, I, the, what we're seeing as far as the chaos is right out of, but not just the fourth turning, but it's also out of pawns in the game, right? This is one of their strategies to create fear, to install a government. We all know that we can all agree on that. I'm talking about the law of unintended consequences because they put the B team in and they, they are planning for these people to do the right thing at some point. And this goes back to something Tom Luongo said to me, but more importantly, Alex Craner said to me, there's going to be a point where somebody in the government, somebody in the private sector, or somebody that's in the peripherals of the entourage of the people pulling the strings are going to be asked to burn the bridge they're standing on. And they're going to go, nope, I'm not going to do that. And at that point, something will fall apart, and then it'll be a catastrophic, or as as we used to say in the armor world, a, a serious, a deleterious series of effects that will attrit their ability to c- control the situation. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the man, the, the main plan, because we all know there's a plan. They've war gamed it for years and years and years, and they're trying to, to bring it to fruition. What I, what I am watching though, and what I- I'm seeing a I'm seeing a a number of different moves that are not coordinated. Like one of the biggest moves that they need to make in order to pull off the 24 election to where it has a semblance of legitimacy is they have to convince the public that Trump is guilty of a real crime. And right now they haven't been able to do that. It's just a distraction. At the same time, they have to enforce some kind of a lockdown so they can they can justify shutting down social media. And they they have been completely unsuccessful at that. So I don't see how they're going to pull it off without this going kinetic. Well, remember something historically. The communists always have their goon gangs ready to step in from the wings to to be a catalyst in a situation and drive drive the momentum in the direction they want at the critical point, almost like committing your reserves. You, you saw that in, you know, at the beginning of, of uh, the Soviet Union. You see that, you see that waiting in the, at least I see that waiting in the wings with groups like Antifa, potentially Black Lives Matter, 
potentially other groups. Seth, uh, you know, very wisely pointed out, you know, cartels are going to be active on on uh, the playing field, especially in urban areas. Uh, there's there's more players in this game than what most people realize. And, you know, Steve, like you said, there is very distinctly uh, a law of unintended consequences. But I think we're going to see a lot of very deliberate, very well-planned moves made to, you know, instigate the kind of chaos that causes people to want and demand more security, right? Because when you need more security, you have to give up more freedoms and you're willing to submit and succumb more to strong centralized leadership. So they're going to they're going to shape the battlefield through a number of different events. Uh, like you said, there's there's a detailed plan. I've spoken towards that situation uh, the last couple of sit reps when I was on. Uh, but here's a question for you. We 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 had heard about how things were supposed to go. Hillary was supposed to be the anointed one. She was going to come in. She would have had her first term during Trump's what was Trump's term. And this should have been her second term. And from the things that I heard, uh, you know, the original plan was setting the stage in the first term with cataclysmic events happening in the second term, which which would have been now. So Trump pushed that back. My question for the group is, where do we stand on that? And uh, how do we disrupt that? Well, I think... The first thing that happened was they prepared those multitude of executive orders on day one. So they signed a bunch of stuff into motion and all Biden did was just sign them all. I'm not sure he read a stinking one. And so that set a lot of stuff into motion. The other thing that they did was they were able to get enough things going and plugged into the budgets and then play the budget game. And someday we're going to learn you have to break it apart. You got to vote on it subject by subject. <laughs> and was able to put a lot of things into play. So the perfect example is the 84,000 IRS agents that are now carrying weapons. They're building that interior army. And there are things going on with all of that that we don't see because we're watching the circus. Here, watch the circus. Let me give you some money for bread, whether it's beer or pizza. And we're going to do all this stuff in the background. Watch us play with Trump so you don't see what we're doing legally with the laws. You don't watch and you don't read what's been passed. And you're not paying attention to the budget of who's getting what money for what things. I think this stuff is already in motion, Dave. I think it's been in motion for a while. I, I think it's just now um, we're going to start seeing the, I, I, you know, the one thing we haven't talked about um, as far as catalyst is the overseas situation in the diplomatic situation across the planet, right? We're seeing that implode at the same time too. 
you, you think even with that plan, you think they've they've war gamed that out? Because some of these events seem very unpredictable and very random, even though um, the situation, case in point, the situation in Ukraine and the de- deteriorating situation on the ground, that would affect their plan too. Anyone? Anyone? Now, I'm thinking about what we can say openly about Ukraine. I think there's bigger things going on in Ukraine than what everybody sees. Number one, if, if you saw the acceptance and the apologetics of the loss of 400,000 soldiers on the Ukrainian side, let's pray for their souls and they'll never call home again. Okay, so they've admitted how many they've lost and how many ran away and how many have left. That's clearing out that sector of the world. Monsanto is is moving in by leaps and bounds. They've been active since 2014. There are signed agreements for where the location where they're fighting to get access to oil and mineral reserves. I think there's a bigger move in Ukraine than just let's fight over this territory and start killing Slavs on both sides. I think there's a bigger story that nobody's paying attention to because we're all wrapped up in either I I agree with the fight or I don't agree with the fight or I don't like the Russians or I do like the Russians or I want to send more weapons or why are we spending $130 billion over there and letting Maui burn to the ground? I, I think there's more to it than just a simple military war. Oh, I agree with that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, especially when you consider that and the part that I can't figure out is is Putin in conversation with some of these companies at the same time, and is he a part of the is he a part of the the rebuilding effort on the other side of it? Because you know, if you take away the strategic side of this, that it's an existential crisis for both sides of the fence, Hamahama. What you come back to is this could be a protracted conflict for both sides of the house, and. I I can't help but think that he's a part of that whole process. That he's a part of those conversations because you know there's too many there's too many things that have that have transpired in the last year that he could have taken advantage of and he didn't. And that you you and I had the conversation about their inability to do maneuver warfare. The the point is is that there's there's a number of different pieces to this that you know, I think could go either way. Uh, but I do think just like Maui, there's a bigger story there. What I'm curious, you know, and speaking of Maui, what I've said from the very beginning on August 8th is wait to see what happens next and what the government does next. If you noticed, you don't see any of the families on the, on, in the press or in alternative media asking where their children are. And supposedly there's over 100 children, 104 children, last I checked, that were missing. 
And, you know, the conversation went quickly to this is a directed energy weapon. Well, where are the parents of these kids? Why aren't they making all kinds of noise at the state capitol? And the state capitol is, has been passing legislation that allows them to take tribal land. So there's, like I said, they, you, like you said, there's a bigger picture here. And I think there's going to be more that comes out of that. I, like I, my original point, plan, no plan, backstory, no backstory. At some point, this will fall apart. No, I, I, I agree. And one of the things I think if we do the research, because I've heard bits and pieces of it, but I haven't run it to ground. And that is that area of Maui was constantly under attack from the fact that they were not selling their property. They were not converting over. They were not doing all the wonderful things the government wanted them to do. They'd been there for hundreds of years and just wanted to be left alone. Well, how do you get rid of people? The same way we got rid of them in Ukraine. You destroy it, they'll leave. And I think that's the point. That's gotta be the most valuable land in not just Hawaii, but maybe even in the U.S. Maui kind of reminds me of and who's got Las Vegas there? from 2017. Look at who's got homes. Yes. Yes, that's yes. a good point, Seth. That was never really resolved. People have a lot of theories about Vegas. What's yours? Well, I've I heard I've heard I've heard every theory in the book about Maui so far, and I've kind of re reserved any sort of conversation about it, other than pointing out the incompetent leadership no early warning system i've heard one yesterday that makes some sense to me that it sounds like a military operation gone wrong then there's the organic you know hey there are actually grass fires here i know people from hawaii that have talked about that but since everybody's so mum on the subject that's why people have theories about it it's the same thing with elections the appearance of impropriety in our elections is enough to undermine confidence in the entire system. And I think that Hawaii, along with Ukraine, provides cover for the biggest global issue that we have, which is China. And and I'm only 38 now, and when I was 28, I was the S2 of a CAV squadron in Alaska, and our focus was Pacific Command. And I remember very specifically a number of examples of the Chinese taking over the South China Sea, starting to encroach on the Philippines, New Zealand, Australia, obviously they've always had issues with Taiwan, but all the issues in Ukraine provide cover for China to continue to operate like they are. And if you really want to get into dark, some of the dark theories, go read up on Michael Yan and his journeys down to the border, down into the Darien Gap in Panama, talking about all the Chinese males that they're finding coming across our country. So it almost sounds like a Trojan horse. And we already know a lot of our politicians are, are, under the influence of the Chinese, whether that is monetarily or under some type of blackmail. So the biggest global menace is definitely China. And one of the darkest theories I've read yet is that Russia appeals to the Christian right. China appeals to the communist left and both benefit from the downfall of America. Even if they're both enemies, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So I think that the at the highest level, strategic level, these distractions are giving cover for other nations overtaking us. As scary as that is, Seth, I think you're right on target. 
Yeah, we've talked about this a fair amount, talking about the uh, the, the nature of the military-age males coming in. Uh, as I had mentioned one or two uh, podcasts ago, I've got a friend who's fairly connected for DHS telling me that some of these some of these Asian males coming in are coming in in six or eight man trained groups. And uh, if you've got a military background watching them, you, you pretty much instantly recognize it. Obviously, it would be a, uh, a really big deal if they were to execute some type of Trojan or strategy with those folks going active. I think there's a major decision point associated with that. And it's probably um, one of the last things they want to have happen because they would certainly realize if they had infiltrated hundreds of thousands of military age males into this country. Uh, they went active and it, and they turned into live shooting war in this country. Um, eventually th- that threat would be reduced. And then the entire, you know, ire of the United States would be upon China. I'm not sure China wants to take that on quite yet at this junction, but, um, it would be the first enemy in our history to underestimate the American resolve. No, but China has a history of being fairly patient and, and fairly deliberate in what they're doing and in, in their plans. And uh, you see that with their Navy and so on. And, and, you know, their target date for their Navy being a dominant power is about 2050. So we're not, we're not quite there yet. But that's not to say they couldn't hold them as a strategic reserve if the rest of the issues with the deep state don't go as planned. We've talked about that relationship between China and the deep state. I've always maintained that the deep state uh, has been around a lot longer than communist China, even though the Chinese culture is very old, uh, the communists are not so old. And, uh, but as Seth just said, the enemy of my enemy or enemies is, is my friend. And uh, so them working hand in glove with each other is entirely uh, feasible as far as I'm concerned. You know, I think, I think we've got to start asking ourselves what, uh, what are actually, I'm, I'm beginning to the point of thinking I need to start brainstorming and getting creative and thinking, what is the left going to pull out of their butt next that could disrupt things further? How, how do all of these seemingly, uh, you know, different lines of effort stack up and when do we start to reach critical, you know, we're all, we're all inferring we're going to reach critical mass at some point. I think we're already there, Dave. I, the fact that they're bringing back COVID when they know the entire population knows it was bullshit, except for a very small minority now that actually believes that COVID, you know, was a real thing that was really, really bad and killed a lot of people and there's a very small minority. The rest of the population is like, we're not doing this again. You even had Trump come out today and say, they're going to try the COVID lockdowns, resist. I mean, that's a massive statement that we're not going to sign up. You don't think that that's going to drive kinetics? I, I can tell you that the first person at Trader Joe's that tries to keep some conservative out because they're not wearing a mask, it's going to go viral at how bad this person's going to get bitch beat right there in front of the store that's that's how much vitriol is in the country and that's why i say if if covid's the best they have what are they waiting for because they is like you said it's good. the the chinese situation with all these and this is another thing and, and you can't tell me that 
the FBI and the intelligence agencies are not watching who's coming over the border. You cannot tell me that because we spent, how much time did we spend watching what our adversaries were doing and mobilizing? We used to watch logistical movements back in the, in the eighties and nineties when the Russians were moving stuff around, we were watching everything they were moving. You can't tell me we're not doing that now. And we're not, we're not seeing this mass migration of military age males. And some of them are regular Chinese regular army that are coming into the country. You can't tell me that there's not one person in the government that doesn't see that and realize what's going on. I think we're going to have two iterations of COVID. We're going to have this so-called Canadian variant that we're facing just in the next you know, month or two. And, and I believe you're right. People will generally resist that situation. But I also think next year, you're going to see a completely different variant of infectious disease. I'm not even sure it'll be along the same lines as COVID, but I'm pretty confident it'll be a lot more lethal. And I think that will be one of those black swan events that they use for driving people away from voting in a conventional manner. We'll almost certainly see a much heavier emphasis on mail-in paper uh, and mail-in voting and, um, and potentially uh, voting with our phones as opposed to showing up in person. You and I have had that conversation about the deadlier variant and uh, the, you know, Biden's admission that he just signed off on new vaccines. The, the, my problem with this whole pandemic conversation is that there's no one talking about the fact that it's statistically fucking impossible to have two back-to-back pandemics unless it's aided by humans. Nobody's even talking about that. It's all about the mass mandates and everything else. And I think you're, I think you're spot on when you, when you put that out the last time we did a live sit rep, it generated a lot of conversation because I think that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to release some deadlier variant. That's literally going to kill a lot of people. And then we'll see all these different uh, military age males activated. If they're not already brought into the American military because of low recruiting numbers again on purpose. No, I agree. I think part of the, I think part of the effect of having a, uh you know, a one-two punch, so to speak, is that, um, you know, desensitizing people to quote-unquote pandemics is part of the long-term plan. I think it makes a follow-on, much more virulent disease all the more effective in terms of culling the population. And uh, I think it's just one of the techniques they'll use. And like you, I think they'll pile on with different things, whether it's military-age males attacking. I think we've also mentioned the fact that there's going to be enough things overseas drawing conventional American forces, whether it's drawing troops to the Pacific theater, uh, if China starts even more saber-rattling, uh, or, or putting more troops on the ground in, in the European theater. And then let's not forget the Iranians and what may happen in uh, in an African, you know, in Africom or or the Middle East. I think there's lots of scenarios for drawing our conventional forces out and uh, you know weakening us here on the continental United States. I'll let you other the, the other two chime in on this one because I I think I beat this one to death. <laughs> Well, here, here's my concern. My concern is, Dave brought it up, and that is China has the tradition of not a five-year plan, not a 10-year plan, a 100-year plan. Slow, 
methodical, stay the course. And the men that they could be bringing in now could be used later on after the destruction occurs here. And if we use the old quote from Napoleon, never interrupt an enemy when they're destroying themselves. Let us do that. And maybe they're even participating in it. I don't know that, that I can't, I can't prove that one. But as the puppeteers try and destroy our hierarchy of, you know, the middle class and try and bring on another way to lock us down and steal the election. They're just going to create a chaotic environment that's just ripe for anybody to come in after we've gone after each other's throats. Seth, what do you think? I think another good point is, yeah, and, and we've got some years between us. And I think that one thing that everyone on the call has in common when we were 21, 22 years old, you had a different view on your military service than you did when you got out. And some of that doesn't mean you love your country any less, but you weren't as, you know, I was kind of wide-eyed. George Bush is right about everything, red, white, and blue, go anywhere we're sent. And then you understand, I found out on a night shift as, an, as the S-2 that we were never going to win our war in Afghanistan because counterinsurgencies have only ever worked in history on an island, and Afghanistan is not an island. So since then, the military is focused on wokeness and making people's feelings not be hurt. The rest of the world focuses on destroying American armor, sea craft, aircraft. Now, I think something like two-thirds of young American men are not even physically fit enough to potentially become physically fit enough to serve in the military. So we have a major issue with replacing people and backfilling people, but you will always have to have field grade officers and general officers and NCOs. So no matter what, you will always have a general and you will always have an 06, 05s and on down. It's just the quality of them is much worse. You know, whereas you used to have some, some pretty good but they're indoctrinated and they're approved. And I've met I've met colonels and colonels that uh, you look at them and you can tell by the, the type of man they are whether they just had that it factor or what. And the year they were up for general, that there were more women people of color that were picked for general than any other because they have the wrong quotas. When the, when the objective of any military is to win it. We no longer have that mindset in our military. And then the young people who backfill these lost ranks are turned to wokeness or the mandate. And it's really, it's a plan. We don't even have a 10 year plan. And we've exhausted our fighting capacities with senseless wars that we cannot win. And I grew up the son of a Vietnam veteran who spent three years in his, as an infantryman overseas, uh, retired lieutenant colonel. And, uh, you know, he, he had his issues with that. So, you know, we, we've just created a generation of veterans that are struggling with having spent two decades at war, and we are in no position to win any major theater conflict whatsoever. Seth, do you also see in that younger generation, and are you, are you picking up from those in uniform, 
the growing numbers of cancer and myocarditis that even the healthy now are being taken down. Seth was having connectivity problems earlier. Yeah, I think we lost him. That's all right. He can jump back on. I, I, yeah, I think it's a perfect storm, right? And I think it's all, like you said, it's a 15 year plan that's, that's, that's at culmination right now. And I, I can tell you that I know personally four people that have died from the vaccine. One of them was my very dear friend. And she was in the healthcare industry, got her third booster because she was required to the next day dead. I have friends, I have a friend of mine, I actually went with him and tried to talk him out of getting his, his first set of shots. We didn't even leave the waiting room. And he said, I don't feel good. And he was gone after his first, after, after his second shot, like literally in the waiting room. And I had two other friends that just passed away, got their boosters gone. I, I think this is not only a concerted effort, but I think this, that, you know, part of the distractions we're seeing at the national level is distract people away from that topic in the military. Um, you know, terminal, uh, terminal CWO has done a, he's done a fantastic job of highlighting all of those issues. And one of those issues is not just myocarditis, but it's the, the, uh, they're seeing all kinds of weird cancers that are super aggressive and, they're estimating that, and this is this is several weeks old, like three, four weeks old now. The last thing that I read, it was uh, I don't know, it was McCullough that wrote it, or if it was um, the uh, I can't think of Teresa, I can't think of her last name, was talking about how just among Army pilots, there's been a three hundred percent increase in myocarditis. This was I think this is absolutely planned to degrade our, our capabilities, mission, mission capable rates. Well, it's, it certainly was, uh, you know, earlier today, you said, nobody's talking about things earlier today. I watched, uh, just part of an interview with the former vice president of, uh, Pfizer. And he was talking, uh, very directly about his belief that, you know, these vaccines were designed to hurt people. And I was rather surprised to see a guy. Uh, who had held that position coming right out, talking about his former his former uh, employer like that. So there are a few people speaking out. Um, there's lots of people trying to make money in terms of treating long COVID and spike proteins. How much of that's going to be effective, I don't know. Uh, Steve, you and I talked about uh, nicotine. We talked about Dr. Brian Artis, who um, I think has done some amazing research, and there's more and more substantiation to this idea that these things were genetically uh, built using CRISPR technology um, and that, you know, like the Italian as well as French genetic investigatory laboratories have, have been saying for the last two or three years now that there are over 20 types of snake venom that have been detected in amongst these these spike proteins and people have been vaccinated and had COVID or long COVID and 16 types of sea creature venoms, whether it's sea urchins or starfish or other types of, uh, I'm not a marine biologist. I can't recall everything they talk about, but you're talking about 36 different 
distinctly uh, differentiated venom systems, toxins that attack um, essentially the brain. It's the it's, brain, blood flow. There's a bunch of coagulation. There's a bunch right, of right. But can it's, you, it's can you briefly touch on the nicotine? There's a comment in the chat about the nicotine receptors and what that. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I think you know it better than I do. I have been watching. Uh, the fellow to watch on this is a man by the name of Dr. Brian Artis, A-R-D-I-S. Um, he has a big event coming up in the next week or two. But uh, here's here's the basic um, the basic facts as he sees them. Number one, this was all derived um, from genetic research and manipulation. Um, COVID itself is designed not as a respiratory virus, but as a virus that specifically attacks the alpha seven nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in our brain, and so. The reason that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were somewhat effective in fighting it is they compete to occupy those receptors. On the other hand, nicotine is about 30 times more potent in occupying those receptors than other compounds. So they've actually done some studies. In fact, one of them was pushed out into the public by a United States Navy doctor um, who went to Dr. Artis and said, you've got to get this out into circulation uh, in that in now, granted, this is somewhat anecdotal and it's just a very small study, but they've done a number of different studies on different groups. They took four people who had long COVID, had 19 different comorbidities and um, and put them onto a regimen of nicotine patch, seven milligrams, wear it for a roughly a week, six days. At the end of the six-day period, 50% of these comorbidities were, there was a 50% reduction in all 19 of the comorbidities. And uh, at the end of three weeks, because the nicotine stays in your system, these people were symptom-free. And uh, I can tell you just today, just by pure coincidence, um, the I was asking some people who were smokers how did COVID affect you? I asked a handful of people and every one of them said to me, you know, uh, I never really got COVID. And I thought, well, that dovetails exactly into what Dr. Artis is saying because nicotine is protective. It occupies those receptors. And uh, um, is effective in treating long COVID, uh, treating people who've got spike proteins, either from people who shed, who've been inoculated, or from people who, uh, you know, had COVID and shed, or people who, you know, have been inoculated several times in particular because they're the worst at this. They've got a buildup of these toxins in their system. So anyhow, and nicotine, by the way, is not what we were told it is. It's not necessarily addictive. Um, there's a different compound that was put into light cigarettes that makes cigarettes addictive, but it's not the nicotine. And nicotine is not the compound in a cigarette that makes it cancer causing. That has to do with how they treat the paper that they wrap the tobacco in. So there's a lot to study well, on that. And the, and the jet fuel and all the chemicals <laughs> and carcinogens and yeah, shit exactly. that, they wrap, that they soak the paper in before they wrap it up and yeah, 
So anyway, we've lost, we lost the tenant Colonel Piper and we lost uh, the good captain Keschel. Uh, Keschel's he's going to be on the Hill tomorrow. And I'm not sure what he's going to do, but um, suffice it to say that, yeah, there's, there's Brian artist. There's lots of interviews with him where he talks about all of these nicotine um, receptors and how it all works. And I, I watched a video. He was the first guy that came out and started talking about red and desivir when that, when that was the, treatment for covid and he's right he's been in the news cycle ever since then um and i think he's part of the reason why rfk is talking about um remdesivir and remdesivir and uh, some of the other drugs that they're trying to push um because i think he realized that there's a uh there's a big um well as he he's calling out the corruption Let's just put it that way. And I think he got some of his information from uh, from Bryant. So we're seeing some of those overlap covers. I did not see the interview with the, the Pfizer vice president, but it, none of that surprises me. What what most people, most, and I'm going to say this for other countries too, you're seeing a backlash in other countries that want Nuremberg-style trials for these pharmaceutical ex executives. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but. I think they're they're culling the population is exactly the right way to say it, which is what they're doing. Where this goes, when it goes, I don't know. But we'll definitely continue this um, next week. I, I think we've got uh, – we, we didn't even get to the core topic we wanted to talk to. That's what do we want <laughs> things to look like. This went tangerial really quick. Yeah. But, um, I, I you know, on la closing thoughts, though, I, I, I want to get your take on – because I know we're going to get this question. Um, I want to get your take on just Trump's Trump's statement today, I think is a massive statement. And my question to you is, do you think that's part of the plan too, to get people to resist and then release the, the stronger variant? Or do you think he legitimately thinks that we should resist? Because, you know, when you started talking, talking about them releasing a stronger variant, I, I got to thinking. You know, Trump was pushing warp speed forever. He was talking about warp speed. He's talking about the vaccines and how great they were. And now he's talking about resisting the mass mandates and everything else. I mean, it's it's worth it's a legitimate question. Do you think he's part of that? Do you think he's controlled or do you think he's part of that? Well, uh, first of all, you know, Trump's a human being and we're all subject whether you're in a position of authority in the military or, you know, in, in civil service, we're all subject to the information that's put in front of us by our advisors, et cetera. And so, you know, has Trump been perfect on this subject? No, I think he's been manipulated clearly uh, to some degree in the past. I think today he would probably just as much rather, uh, you know, punch out, um, you know, some of the advisors that he, that he had in the past, uh, then, and, but I think he's legitimate in talking to people about, uh, pushing back, not giving in, resisting. Um, and I don't, I don't think we need to make a real deep read into that. I think he's sincere in it. I think it's fairly simple and straightforward. Are you there, Steve? If I could ever come off mute, life would be fantastic. I was having a great conversation with myself. I, I, I don't know where to land on Trump. I There's so many different things he's done that haven't made sense. Like, 
you know, we were in one of our sidebar conversations, we were talking about all the anomalies since 2020 that have occurred, not just in DC, but across the, the U S and the things that we can't account for, like Biden, you know, broadcasting from outside the white house on a stage, the inauguration, the lights at the white house going out, the buses that have showed up though, you made a point of, to, to document all that. And then there's the other anomalies that we're seeing too. And Trump has played into some of those, right? Like the other thing I don't get is why Trump's playing into the whole Q thing. He and Cash Patel, you know, Cash Patel said to me in, in an interview that we have to make fun of it. You know, we have to play along with it and make fun of it. I'm like, all you're doing is creating a religion. You're not, you're not making fun of it. People are buying into it more and more. And Trump's played into a lot of that. And he's and like, he, he retweeted Jan Halper, right? So, I got asked this weekend if if I want to interview Jan Helper, and she's the she's the person that was on uh, GBN News that did an interview that said Trump's going to be able to relitigate all of 2020 in the courts, which I think is nonsense. Because if you're if he's going to court in D.C., there's it's going to be a Kabuki theater and it's going to be a show trial. It's basically be kangaroo court. He's not going to try anything. In other states, that may be possible, but she came out of the woodwork, and she was re and Trump reposted her and retruthed her on Truth Social, and it's things like that that, that give me pause and make me wonder because I passed on the interview because I've seen interviews where she literally got eviscerated. Like you don't, you know, I'm trying to find the interview because I was going to post it and play it during uh, during this broadcast. But anyway, long story short. He's he's doubled down on things that I don't understand why and why somebody would advise him to double down on some of these things. And I think that a lot of what he's done has been just as much detrimental as his, I think the court the court indictments have done more for Trump's campaign than Trump's mouth, if that makes any sense. No, I agree. Uh, here's how I feel about Trump. Um, Trump is not perfect. He's a human being, but he is the indispensable man, uh, at least of our times. I mean, there is nobody. I thought I would never see somebody that would eclipse Ronald Reagan as a political entity for the right. Um, who else but Trump would cause people to have rallies in Sydney, Australia, in London, England, in Tokyo, Japan, in in Hollywood, California, for crying out loud. Well, that's a that's a that's, that's a byproduct of the cultural shift, right? The cultural shift. So he not only created a phenomenon with the tweeting and captured the news cycle, but he changed the landscape and he called out something that that I think everybody on the planet was in a position to get behind, and that was he declared the status quo dead. And people are so tired of the status quo and the establishment. And this part of the reason why I keep saying they're going to do something monumentally stupid because, a, a, you know, tr Trump came in and did two things that were completely outside of the political spectrum in Washington, D.C. Number one, he used Twitter as a mechanism to drive the news cycle. Number two, he said things that Americans believed, felt, and actually saw and called them out the way they are. Like the, the term fake news. 
probably one of the best, if not the best, taglines to ever come out of any political campaign. And he said it because he was so frustrated with all the lies with the PB tapes and his, you know, grabbing the hoochie, that storyline. That's what drove that. But what it created, though, was a cultural shift across the planet. And people said, this guy is a real, he's a real um, common person. He's not a part of the elite. And that resonated with people, right? No, I, I will, I'll tell you a couple of things about Trump from my perspective. Um, first of all, my wife had met Trump a couple of times years ago when she was modeling. And uh, her agent actually was very good friends with Trump. And she said, look, there's a lot of people who are going to think different things because he gets painted a certain way by the media. He's actually very different, very down to earth, has a wonderful, um, done a wonderful job as, as a father and a parent. You take a look at his kids compared to, say, Biden's kids. It's night and day. His kids don't drink, don't smoke, don't do all these things. Well, he didn't they, molest his children. Like, and Yeah, and they genuinely lo- love their dad. Difference. Exactly. But, but take all of these other things aside that people talk about and, and try to hang on Trump. There are many things uh, of incredible impact as a president that nobody else that I'm aware of could possibly do. Take the trade deficit with China. Trump stood up and he said, look, I'm sick and tired of us being at a severe disadvantage, getting beat up by the Chinese, this enormous trade deficit that we have with other nations overseas. And and he put his foot he put his foot down, drew his line in the sand, and he said, I'm going to change this. And I thought, oh, my God, we're going to have a trade war with China. This is going to be horrible for the economy. You know what? I was wrong. Trump knew exactly what the devil he was doing. He, he does know far more about negotiating uh, to the advantage of, of the United States of America than any other politician I've seen. And, uh, you know, he is genuinely an America first leader. And that, as we know, is incredibly rare, incredibly unique when everyone else around him is so corrupt. And so, you know, there's lots of things we can talk about that are in the periphery. But what I'm focused on are the centralized things that he's proven himself unique to be capable of doing. He's a shaker and a mover. He gets things done. And remember, unique to our generation. He told us what he wanted to do. And then he set off and started doing it. He didn't lie about stuff. He didn't mislead us, uh, at least not knowingly. And uh, I've I don't know about you, but I've I've not really seen that in other politicians. Oh, I don't think Trump is. I I I, I if I was to assess anything, I would say Trump is being controlled by someone. There's definitely somebody that's got something on him because the vaccine conversation, disregard everything else. And I agree with you as a parent. He's a fantastic parent. He, he dotes on his kids. All of them say the same thing, right? He doted on him as a, um, as a parent. And that is, that is, that is a fact. He's also I, the one who, who is, I don't mean to interrupt you, but he's also the one who started off driving this whole anti-pedophile and child trafficking circumstance. Oh, he's he's not the first one, but he's the first president to drive. Yes, yes. You look at his numbers, they prove that because he's exponentially more profound in what he's done along those lines than than all of the other presidents in the last 30 years. 
Well, the problem, but the problem that he ran into, which is the problem everybody else runs into, is the fact that everybody in the fucking government is compromised by child, you know, by pedophilia, and all the leadership's compromised by pedophilia, and all of the agencies are compromised by pedophilia. So he wasn't going to get any traction there, right? And you know, we've talked about that at nausea, but I, I think I'm gonna, I want to close here, and I want to close on this. I think, I think there's more to talk about with Trump. I think there's. There's so many different facets we could explore with him. I I honestly think that um, Trump legitimately wants to do the right thing like you do. I agree with that. I, I think Trump wants to do the right thing, but he surrounded himself with dipshits. And, and that's why he, he got into so much trouble. Like Mark Milley, I would have fired him. And Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein, I would have fired them day one. Like, you're gone. Especially Mark Milley. When when they went to the church and Mark Milley backtracked, he should have been gone. I would have been, you're, you're retiring today. And you'll be lucky to get a retirement if you don't resign today. I, I, honestly, I would have had him shot. But, you know, we live in a different age now. But that is what it is, right? I, I um, Any final comments for the, for the, the, uh, the audience that... Uh, because we covered a lot of ground tonight. We always do. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, it would be a couple of things. First, you know, one of the reasons I admire Glenn Beck, he, he's a bit vitriolic and emotional and things like that. I'm not into any of that. But he is a dire, ardent student of history. And it's it's difficult to know what right looks like if you haven't studied the founders of this nation intensively and i and i don't mean just the best sellers i mean doing some real deep dives into you know key founders jefferson washington franklin etc understanding uh more than just what they wrote understanding about their character uh understanding what motivated them i'll give you an example just a brief example thomas jefferson believed that the right to bear arms should have been the First Amendment. It was a real wrestling match between Ben Franklin and uh, and I think it was Adams, or uh, no, might not have been Adams, Madison, I think, to make it the Second Amendment. But the reason that he felt that way was because he had been at uh, he had been at his home, and he got word that the the green jackets if you remember banister tarlington uh or banister tarleton excuse me you go back to the movie the patriot the bad guy in the movie is tabington was actually modeled on a real person named tarleton tarleton did not die at the battle of Calpens. tarleton rode off made his way up through in some of the northern battles that, that followed and eventually when yorktown happened uh and, and the brits um uh, the brits uh, succumbed to washington at yorktown uh tarleton took his green jacket cavalry and they rode up into uh, i think it's albemarle county i could be wrong on that but they went up to monticello and came within a couple of hours of capturing thomas jefferson jefferson got word from some friends he was a very good horseman grabbed a saddlebag and pretty much hightailed it away from his home uh, off to some distant friends 
where he could hide out. And he knew damn well that if Tarleton had gotten hold of him, they would have thrown a noose around the, uh, the nearest branch of a high tree and strung him up till, you know, and, and killed him on the spot. So, you know, stories like that, you hear all of these different arguments about what the Second Amendment means. You know, that gets right to the heart of it. You know, countering and resisting tyranny and protecting yourself from strong centralized government is what the Second Amendment is all about. But, you know, people get caught up in some of these misleading or politicized histories. They have to be careful. Study the history carefully with a critical eye and then and then you'll have a better understanding of what the founders were trying to achieve. And that will give you the kind of guidance that you need when we have these discussions. Or if you wish to take part in civil service in the future as to what we should be driving for. Avoid the Frankenstein state. Keep the federal government out of our lives as much as possible. Well, I think, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think the, you know, as one of my admins was just saying to me, um, you know, states' rights and and you know control of of the state needs to rest with the state government, not the federal government. And that's how the system was designed so that the states would have the power and not the federal government. And you know, the Second Amendment was done because they knew that that was one of those immutable rights that had to stay no matter what in order for tyranny to not take hold in this country. And I agree with that completely. And most people are right. Most people are not a student. They're not students of history. They don't pay attention. And the, especially younger generations, they don't care. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those conversations that they just don't want to have, but it's amazing how, when you are a student of history, like Glenn Beck sees all the connections in the big picture. What Glenn Beck misses when he does his analysis is he misses what the end state's supposed to be. He talks about it in, in, in some formats, but he's really focused on this is how all these people fit together, which is a, a necessary piece. The bigger piece is what's the end state. And we're, you and I are both, all four of us were struggling tonight with what's the end state right? Other than culling the population. I really don't think, I still believe that the elite don't have a vision for the future, which is why we're seeing some of these moves take place that are haphazardly done. I think China's behind everything, to be honest with you. I've said that for a very long time, but that's for another time. I, Dave, I appreciate your time, man. I, I love doing these, these conversations because it always sparks several sidebar conversations that go off of this. If we can, I'd love to have everybody back to do this again. I, I think next time we'll keep it to just three of us and uh, rotate because I think, it, you know, Seth's got a good, he's got a, he's plugged into um, the election side of the house. He's plugged into the Flynn side of the house. He's, he's getting a different picture. And I think his, his view of the world's different than ours. And I think that brings a good flavor for us to chew on because, you know, we don't have all the answers. I think but, uh, we I think we need to have a conversation at some point, and I would love to have Seth in on this uh, and other people, if it's appropriate. We need to talk about some of the technical side of the elections, and I think we all acknowledge there are a multitude of ways that cheating is conducted. Oh, we and we and there have been. That. I'm not going to get into them. I'll just say there are contingency plans on top of contingency plans. You saw what happened in your own state 
uh, you know, for the difference between your, your primary and then the midterm, right? But my point is this, my point is this, um, we need to talk about hammer and scorecard. We need to talk about some of the disinformation involved that wraps around that. And we need to talk about what we can do. I keep, I, I just keep thinking we've, we've got to fight fire with fire in some regard and figure out a way to disrupt the, what is it, what is effectively electronic attack. The only way you can disrupt it right now, given the, the and we'll, I'll touch on this briefly. The only way right now that you can disrupt the machines is to take them offline, to literally log in. So they, you can log in with the, with these, these voting systems. You can have concurrent op, two operating systems running at the same time. One running on the run, run, one running on the front end and one running in the back end that, that whoever's operating the machine would never see. And that's how they leveraged it the first time. And the the uh, the cursory um, evaluation of the AS servers that Cyber Ninjas did back in 2021 showed that the operating systems can be instantiated, which means they can be booted remotely without anybody on the front end ever knowing that there was a, another operating system instantiated. Right, right, right. To, to, to not just to, to instantiate and manipulate the machine, but they could reset the numbers live stream and set a weighted voting average. So one vote for Trump was 1.1 votes for Biden or exactly. 0.9 to 0.6. And, and literally they could, they could manipulate those numbers as they saw the trends lie. They could do it. And, you know, they said there was 800 anonymous connections that were, that were from overseas that were logged into those machines. And then, just in the last week. Well, that was uh, just Arizona, right? Just Arizona. Just one <laughs> EAS server. So the the only way we're going to get control of the voting system is number one, somebody has to be in has to be overseen and involved in the county because that's where they got us in 22 was the county. They took everything to the MTech, they programmatically injected failures into the machines early in the morning the night before so they could drive the votes to run back and then move the votes to the mtech and then they literally locked everybody out of the mtech and the maricopa county sheriff ran roughshod over the county until you get control of the counting centers you're right. not going to have any free and fair elections and the only way to deal with the machines is to turn them off and go yep. back to paper ballots what do they say? No, vote Amish? There's no way to do that. There's no way to do it. We tried it here and Rusty Rusty Bowers and now Ben Toma. And guess who sits on? So Runbeck here in Arizona was just bought by Black Mountain. And they're, they have a controlling interest in Runbeck. Guess who sits on the board of directors? Ben Toma's brother. Yeah. It's the, the only, I, like I said on November, November 9th of 2022. The second American revolution started today and people don't realize it because you cannot fix that system unless, and that, you know, every time I hear Trump talk about, we have to, we have to do the same thing the left's done. The left put people in key positions within every state and the major counties in every one of the swing states. And literally they changed the voting laws 
They injected mail-in ballots. They injected fraudulent ballots. And they ran roughshod over all of it. The time for us to have corrected this was 2020, uh, 2021 or before 2020. And the entire establishment banded together to get rid of Trump, including Bill Barr, who literally oversaw a fraudulent part of the election and literally gave it air cover. So in order for that to happen, all of it has to be dismantled. That's a revolution. That's not, we're not going to, this, this is not going to be peaceful. I don't care how many different ways people want to talk about it. This will go kinetic because all forms of recourse are now compromised, including the courts. Look at what they're doing to Trump. Yeah. Expediting a court case so he can't make it to Super Tuesday. I mean, there's no way that's going to end any other way than kinetically. I don't, I'm sorry. I just, I don't see it. And um, I mean, you and I have had this conversation at nauseam, Dave, so I appreciate you letting me rant. But this shit, <laughs> this shit gets under my skin like a rash. And it's part of the reason why I, I'm not looking at 24. I, I just, you know, you have, Several key things going on right now, which could cause some kind of a, a conflict. You have the, the IRS and the ATF closing down FFLs, federal firearms licensees and gun shops. You have the IRS coming in and seizing 4473s, and they're seizing gun owners and purchase, you know, purchase orders. Basically, the 4473 is what an FFL uses to document a firearms transfer and a firearms sale. The IRS confiscating that completely out of their jurisdiction. But again, they have their own court system. They have their own legal system. So all that's going on right now, it's just a matter of time before that blows up. So I don't see us getting 24, man, no matter how, how I, many different ways we, there's I, no peaceful way out. I think there's a big ramp up to 2024. And I said this literally the day after the election in 2020, I said, like like a like an old firearm with a set trigger the set trigger will be the midterm and the final trigger will happen in in november of 2024 the hammer will drop and i think that's going to be uh the catalyst of the situation because people are going to know what happened if we get to 24 man that's going to be i just there's so many things going on right now that are just could go sideways at any moment well i noticed we generated a great deal of chat in the uh, in the live chat conversation over on the side there with uh bringing up hammer scorecard and, and some of these topics so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to touch base on some of this and do a little bit of a deep dive uh i've got some interesting stories as to how i uh you know how i kind of came to certain conclusions that uh probably most people haven't come across and uh it's tough to know what's right and what's true. Um, you and I have both had experience and formal training in, in how we know what we know and how we vet things. And uh, I think people would get uh, some enlightenment out of our insight in some of this. I would agree. And with that, folks, uh, we're going to end tonight. If you have any other questions, comments, you can put it in, uh, you can put it in uh, reply comments to any one of my truths out there because I, I send truths almost every day. You can post it into Telegram. I'm on Getter. Just look for Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Murray on, on uh, all three platforms, all the same name. You'll be able to find me. If you have any questions, just throw them out there. We'll, we'll build a list of questions for our next live stream.
but uh, appreciate the time, everyone. I appreciate everybody jumping on. And Dave, I appreciate your time, man. I, I, I like the fact that we don't agree on things, but we can, we can get to points of clarity because I think that's the value in this conversation is not that we agree. The value in the conversation is that we see things differently. We give everybody in the audience something to think about. And look, we could be wildly wrong, but at least people are starting to think about it now. Look at the situation from a holistic picture, which to me is invaluable because people get myopic. Steve, I think uh, going back to the, the military dictums about mission orders, I think we both have the same mission. We both agree on what the outcome needs to be. And, and uh, we both agree on the majority of things at the strategic level. We just, we just think uh, there's, you know, along a few different lines at the tactical level. And, uh, you know, some of the details are different. Maybe we approach this or skin a cat slightly different. But uh, I think we're both in it for the right reasons. And uh, we just, we just got to flesh out a couple of these ideas. And hopefully people get some value added as to how we think about these things. That's a very polite way of saying you're wrong. I know you're wrong. No. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. We, hey, man, we, I've been on Brigade we, Step too, man. That was, a, that was we, uh, fantastic. I've, I've, been on, I've been on division staffs and brief corps people quite a bit. And, and uh, I'm just – I'm Sorry, just saying we, you for we do agree. I could, we I could do, not resist. <laughs> we do agree on the vast majority of things. We do. We do. We do. I, I so, and we have, and the amount of stuff we have in common is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. But, All uh, right, Jen. I appreciate right. it. Um, have a good evening. You too, bud. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Have a good Talk night. God bless. One team, one fight. Cool.